Thanks for joining the Church at Nolensville Sermon Podcast. We exist to engage the whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ. Anytime, anywhere, with anybody. Good morning. We're so glad that you're here. If you're new, if you're a guest, my name is Wade Owens, and we just want to say welcome home. You're among friends. We hope that you find today to be encouraging, uplifting as we look into God's word is his truth for our lives. And we're so glad that you're here. As Devin said, our mission statement is to engage the whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ anywhere, anytime and with anybody. And I love what God is doing in our city, in our town and around the world. And I'm incredibly excited to announce to you that every week that we've been in this new building so far, someone every Sunday has given their life to Jesus Christ in this room. Amen. Yeah. That's why we're here. That's why we do what we do is we celebrate life change and we celebrate the gospel going across the street and around the world. And like Devin said, there are over 80 different ethnicities and people groups that have moved to the greater Nashville area. And through our partnerships, we've already planted five churches among those people groups. And over the next five years, we want to plant a church in every one of them. They're coming here looking for freedom, a better life. And we want to step in and say, hey, Jesus Christ is the better life that you're looking for. Jesus Christ is the freedom that you're a part of. And part of your giving goes to that. That's one of the reasons why we're not ashamed to say, hey, partner financially with us because 27% of every dollar that you give goes out the door to reach someone else for Jesus. And we love that. So we try to reach people across the street, but also around the world. And speaking of around the world, one invitation I want to give to you is to come with me and my family and others this summer to Kenya. We've been taking a family mission trip to Kenya every summer since my family was three. Youngest kid was three. And we go to the second largest slum in East Africa, Uh, called Kibera. Imagine one million people living in one square mile. It is unreal. And they have very little hope, very little promise of a future. And we partner with a gospel-centered school that gives them an education, uh, calls them to be disciples of Jesus, then helps them get out of poverty, get a new life, and then come back as leaders in their community. We're going in June. The youngest is seven, oldest is whoever wants to go. And so we'd love for you to come. Last year, 29 of us went. And I would say to you, as you're thinking about your summer plans, my family and others would testify to you that there's no better time that you can spend with your family than being on mission together. So if you're interested in that, there's a card in the seat back in front of you. Just mark, hey, I want to serve and write Kenya on it and turn it in as we leave. Okay, so enough of the announcements. I'm not here to be minister announcements. I want to get into the word of God. Y'all ready for the word of God? Amen. Some of y'all are. I'll ask again. You ready for the word of God? Yes. Amen. And so we've been going through Psalm 23 in a series called Restoring Our Soul. We've just been slow walking it. And if you've missed any of those weeks, go on church at Nolensville.com and catch up. And every week we stand and we read it together. But, but today I want us to have a responsive reading. I want us to read it together, just our voices, and allow the word of God to be read together out loud. And if you've never done a responsive reading before, that's okay. Today's your first time, and we're going to read together. And so as we read together, there are no solo sermons in here, so keep a tempo, keep up with others, and we'll read it together. Y'all ready to try? All right, we're going to do it anyway. doesn't matter. Y'all stand up. And so I invite you every week, man, bring a copy of the scriptures, bring the word of God. The word of God, not my words, is what transforms our life. And so I'll begin reading, and what I invite you to do is just read with me together these words out loud. Psalm 23, verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. 
He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. God, this is your word, and we are your people. And God, I pray that you would do what only you can do in these moments and speak to our hearts and speak to our lives. God, I pray you would call those to follow you for the first time. And those who are believers, that they would be encouraged to remember that, man, your goodness and your mercy will follow us all the days of our life. So our lives are open to you as we look to your word in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Psalm 23 is familiar, it's well known, but it is the word of God. And I encourage you to continue to memorize it and pray it and and encourage others with it. In the last couple of weeks, we have looked at what Jesus has to say about issues like loneliness and anxiety and depression. And we have seen that Jesus very much wants to, in the midst of anxiety, in the midst of our issues, he wants to be our shepherd. And today we're, we're dealing specifically with the issue of loneliness. Now, I'm going to ask a, a question of the parents. Show of hands, how many of y'all have kids? Keep your hands up if your kids are different. Yeah. So some of you, you may have one kid who's alone in their room and they're quiet and you're like, great, because they're fine. They're probably studying scripture and praying to Jesus. But, but you have another kid, if they're alone in their room and they're quiet, what are you thinking? I need to go look because something's wrong, right? One kid can be completely alone and it's peace. Someone else can be alone and it's trouble. Look out. Well, well, loneliness is, is saying something to us and it's saying something to our world. In fact, the medical community and others are even looking into it. UCLA did a study on the effects of loneliness on the brain and, and they, they wired people up and they learned that exclusion, loneliness, has the same trigger reactions in our brain as pain does. Time Magazine said that loneliness is the greatest health epidemic facing our society, second only to obesity and substance abuse. Cigna Insurance recently came out with a a result that says, hey, being lonely is literally making people sick. That has the same effect on our mortality as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Loneliness. It spikes at 18 to 25, and then it reoccurs again at 35 to 45. Why does it spike at 18 to 25? Because, man, I just, it didn't work out like I thought. College didn't work out. Not married yet. Job didn't work out like I thought it would be. Things aren't going my way. It's hard. It's difficult. There's issues. And so we retreat from life. And then again at 35 to 45. We're married. We got a job. We got kids. Oh, man. <laughs> Didn't work out like I thought. Marriage isn't going like I thought. Job's not going like I thought. Kids aren't going like I thought. And we retreat from life. And loneliness is a big issue. And Jesus has something to say about it. Psalm 23 has something to say about it. And the reality is each and every one of us, man, we're looking for something true. We're looking for something solid, something certain, something to anchor our lives and hearts 
Because the reality is, man, we, we graduate and things don't go as planned. We get married and things don't go as planned. The reality is, hello, life just doesn't go as planned. But, but God says there is something true. There is something solid. There is an anchor, and, and it's me. And last week we saw how God said, hey, in the midst of the darkest valley, in the midst of enemies all around you, I prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemy where you can sit down with your king and feast while your enemies watch. Because I, I want to be your shepherd. And we've said every week, hey, everyone has a shepherd. And a shepherd is just someone who leads and guides, someone who leads and guides you around. Good shepherds protect and provide, but everyone has a shepherd. Something's leading us around. Maybe it's a career, maybe it's money, maybe it's athletics, maybe it's an addiction, but something is leading us around. And all through Psalm 23, we've said, God wants to be our shepherd. The anchor, the truth, the cornerstone is saying, I want to be your shepherd. And this week, we're going to see how that shepherd says, hey, goodness and mercy, it's going to follow you all the days of your life. Let's, let's look at a couple of the verses. Let's begin in verse 23. He says this, he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. We looked at that list last week, but this week you anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. Look, look what he says here. He says, you anoint my head with oil. Literally shepherds in the time of Jesus would take oil, literal oil, and they would rub it on the heads of their sheep to protect them from flies and to protect them from other distractions that could come in and annoy and bother and, and affect the sheep. They would literally anoint the head with oil. And so David is saying, he is a constant source of protection and provision for my life. He takes care of me. But not only does he say that, but he says, my cup runs over. And this is David saying, I got, I got more than I need. I have more provision than I could ever want from my shepherd, King Jesus, the God of the universe. He gives me more than I need. And that doesn't mean you get the house you want, the car you want, the job you want, the college you want, because all those things come and go. And they don't scratch the itch that our heart is really hungry for. That's not what David's talking about. David is talking about in the midst of a valley, in the midst of certain death, in the midst of failure, in the midst of sin, in the midst of anything and everything in my life, I have a God who never leaves, never forsakes. He's with me and he provides for me. And the way my shepherd provides, my life overflows with his blessing. That's, that's what David is talking about here. And so often, Man, we, we, we find ourselves empty because, man, we're chasing after the wrong shepherd. We're chasing after something that doesn't really satisfy. And we're left empty. Not because there isn't a God who wants to provide. It's because we're looking to provide for ourselves. Uh, but David is saying, man, he, he anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. And then look at, look at what he says next. He says, surely, what's our words? Goodness and what? Shall so follow me, how many? All the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here's what David's saying David is saying, I am promised, I am guaranteed God's goodness and mercy. It is a certainty, David says, that no matter how dark the valley, how difficult the circumstance, how big my sin, God's goodness and his mercy belong to me. That God's goodness and mercy irrevocably belong to his sheep. 
And David, when he talks about the word goodness, he's using the Hebrew word tov. And that Hebrew word, it talks about something that's beautiful or something that's pleasant. It talks about the, the favor of God. What David is saying is like, man, God's favor, God's blessing, God's promise is to me. His goodness is always for me. And because God is perfectly good, the Bible says, his character is perfectly good. All of his actions are perfectly good. That means he can only do good for his sheep. That's what David says, goodness. Man, the favor of God is with me. And then he says, mercy. And, and I love this word, mercy. It's, it's like the covenant love of God. It's really the hallmark declaration or definition of God's love. And, and the Jesus Storybook Bible defines it this way. It says, God's love is a never-ending, never-stopping, always and forever love. I love that. God's love is a never-ending, never-stopping, always and forever love. And that's promise to us, David says, all the days of my life. And mercy literally means the definition is that you and I aren't punished even though we're guilty. Even though we're guilty, mercy says, I'm not going to punish you. Mercy is you deserve judgment, but I'm keeping it from you. And God keeps his judgment from us because he gave every ounce of it to Jesus when he died on the cross. And so regardless of what happens in my life, if I am in Christ, there's not a second that goes by in my life that God's goodness and God's mercy are immediately available. Regardless of what happens in my life, there's not a second that goes by. If I'm in Christ, that God's goodness and God's mercy are immediately available. And mercy, it's a constant reminder that because of Jesus, I will never know God's anger, but only his love. And I can't, I can't run from it. I can't earn it. I don't have to be perfect or put together. I receive it because that's just who my God is. Question, um, show of hands, how many of y'all are free from failure? Okay, really easy to count. Okay. Second question, how many of y'all just a hot mess? Okay, if your hand's not up, you know what that means about you? A liar. Because <laughs> we are. Wait, I'm quirky, I'm difficult, um, I'm a little bit weird, I, I'm hard to love. Well, guess what? You belong here. Because you're sitting in a room full of people that apart from the, ever, uh, the never-stopping love of Christ, man, we're dead in our sins. And so you belong. Welcome home. And David says, God's goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Which means this world's not my home. It's broken. It hurts. Yeah. It's because we don't belong here. But there's never a moment in your life. There's never a second in your life when God's goodness and mercy isn't immediately available for you. And the Bible is full. The Bible is replete of stories of people who sinned big 
and receive mercy in a big way. The Bible is full of stories of people who ran from God and God's goodness and mercy chased after them. And we've been slow walking Psalm 23, but to really illustrate how God's goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of our life, I want to take you to the story of one that I think really demonstrates that. Sometimes it, it's, it's great to really understand what God's word is saying when you see it lived out in a person. And so I, I want you to see that. And it's in First uh, Kings chapter 19, if you want to follow along there. But in First Kings, you, you'll find and you'll meet a character named Elijah. And Elijah is a prophet of God. And his name, Elijah, Eliyahu, literally means my God is Yahweh. So Elijah shows up on the scene. He says, hey, you can serve whatever God you want, but my God is Yahweh. My God is the true God. And he served as a prophet during the reign of King Ahab. And King Ahab wasn't a great king to begin with. And then he took it a step further by marrying a lady by the name of Jezebel. And Jezebel's name is synonymous with evil. She's a wicked woman because she followed the false prophets of Baal and invited all of the false prophets of Baal to come into Israel and set up shop. So not only did she do that, but she also ran over her man. She completely dominated Ahab and and many have said the last decision that Ahab made was I do. After that, he didn't make any decisions. So, so Jezebel was a bad lady. Prophets of Baal set up shop. And God spoke against that, but Ahab allowed it anyway. So Israel's flooded with all of these false prophets. And Elijah is told by God, hey, go tell the king not to do that. Because of his wickedness, that there's actually going to be a drought coming on Israel. And a drought is just a discipline from God to bring his people back. And so it's a, it's a pronouncement of God's discipline. Hey, you're going in the wrong direction. Come back. And so Elijah went, told him what was going to happen. And Elijah, by the power of God, turned off the water in Israel like you turn off the water in your shower, and it didn't rain for three years. And Elijah takes off. He survived the famine by hiding out by a brook and following God's instructions. And God, through the ravens, would send him food every day. Our boy had room service. And then in chapter 18, God tells him to go back to Ahab. And he goes back to Ahab and he says, God has had enough of all the prophets of Baal. Here's what we're going to do. I want you to get all the prophets of Baal, all 450 of them, and I want you to meet me on Mount Carmel. And we're going to have a little battle of the gods. It's going to be the false gods of uh, Baal against the true gods of uh, Israel. And here's what's going to happen. Your gods are going to cry out and see if your God answers. I'm going to cry out and see if the real God answers. And the false prophets, they cry out for hours and hours and hours and hours. And God doesn't answer. You know why God didn't answer them? He doesn't exist. Baal doesn't exist. And then Elijah cries out to the one true living God and fire falls down from heaven. All of Israel turns back to God. And it seems like it's going to be a great situation. And Ahab goes back to Jezebel and is like, hey, all the prophets of Baal just got defeated. Yes or no? You think Jezebel liked that? No, she didn't like that very much at all. So in 1 Kings 19, she sends a death threat to Elijah. She basically says, hey, let the gods do to me and more if you aren't dead by this time tomorrow. How do you think Elijah responded? Full of faith, just called down fire from heaven. How do you think Elijah responded? Well, the craziest thing happens in verses 3 and 5. Elijah runs for his life. 
I don't know if it's anxiety or fear or what happened, but he gets a death threat from this gal, the lady who brought in all the prophets of Baal, who just were demonstrated, you are no gods at all. He gets a death threat from her, and now he's running for his life. He's going to isolate himself. He's going to retreat, and he's going to run. And what I want you to see is what happens as Elijah's running. I want you to see how God's goodness and mercy follow him. Because God's not going to condemn Elijah. God's not going to rub his nose in it. God's not going to rub his face in it. In fact, Elijah's going to run 200 miles in the wrong direction. He's running, but I want you to see, I want you to see what happens. I want you to see how God responds. We'll pick up the story in verse 5. Then he, that's Elijah, lay down and slept under the broom tree. And suddenly an angel touched him and the angel told him, get up and eat. And there he looked and there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones and a jug of water. So he ate and he drank and he laid down again. Now, some of you, I know you're looking for a life verse, something to really anchor you in 2020. Here it is right here. He ate, he drank and he lay down again. That's your verse for 2020. But Elijah has retreated from his life. Elijah has isolated himself. Elijah has ran. And I don't know. I'm, I'm not for sure. I'll step away from the Bible. It's just my opinion. But I don't think Elijah was afraid of dying. Because God had just demonstrated that he was the one true all-powerful God by raining fire down from heaven. He just showed that the false prophets weren't true at all. God had just demonstrated that. So I don't think he's afraid of dying. I'm wondering if life hadn't got so difficult again. God had just showed up and God had just intervened and Israel's turning back to God and immediately she sends another death threat. I'm wondering if he isn't just running from what God has called him to do. It's getting hard. I don't want to deal with this again. I've already done it and I got to do it again. And he begins to run because life just got hard. And I know that you're here this morning and you're here this morning in church, which means you're all mature believers in Jesus Christ, which means that none of us would ever retreat from life when it gets hard. That none of us would ever run from day-to-day commitments that we make. None of us would ever run from our commitments to our marriage and our commitments to our kids and our commitment to the Lord. We would never run and we would never retreat just because life gets hard. So I'm not going to preach that to you guys, but maybe Elijah did. Maybe, maybe Elijah did that. And so, so let's see what happens. Because Elijah hits the snooze button, but the angel shows back up again. And so he got up, he ate and he drank. And then, then on the strength from that food, he walked 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. So I know what you're thinking, man. God's goodness and mercy showed up in the food and now Elijah's turned back around and he's headed right in the direction. In fact, the Bible says he's headed to the mountain of God. Good for you, Elijah, right? Wrong. No, this is still the wrong direction. This is south. Elijah, even after God showing up, is heading further in the right direction. God shows up, goodness and mercy. Hey, get up and eat. I'm here for you. I'll provide for you. Get up and eat. And how does Elijah respond To God for the food that he didn't deserve by going to a place he didn't belong. In fact, he's going to go 40 days further in the wrong direction. And then let's look what happens. So he, that's Elijah, entered a cave there and spent the night. And suddenly the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, What are you doing here, 
Elijah. It's interesting when you, when you look at what God said to him, because we're seeing God's goodness and mercy. God's goodness and mercy is here, and I'll tell you why. Because the word of the Lord still came to him. God's already shown up once, and Elijah's running even farther. Now he's isolated himself in a cave. He's retreated from his calling. He's retreated from his life. But the word of the Lord shows up. It's God's goodness and mercy. And look at what the word of the Lord says. What are you doing here, Elijah? And and I think there's a couple of different things you can emphasize here. I mean, I think you can emphasize the word what. What are you doing here? What is the purpose of the cave? What is running going to solve? What is isolating going to solve? What is retreating from your life going to solve, Elijah? What in the world is that going to solve? Or you, you can look at the word you. What are you doing here, Mr. Eliyahu? My God, is Yahweh rained down fire from heaven. Now you're hiding in a cave. What are you doing here? Haven't you seen my faithfulness? Haven't you seen my power? Haven't you seen me provide food from an angel? What are you doing here? Now, that's how I would have responded because I have the spiritual gift of sarcasm and ridicule. But that's not how God responds. God doesn't condemn Elijah. And even though he has gone deeper into Uh, regret deeper into running further away from God's best. God doesn't condemn him because if you're a child of God, God's goodness and mercy are always available for you any second of your life. Because the reality is Elijah's in a cave. He has isolated himself. He has retreated from God. He's created this world of safety where, hey, I don't need God and I don't need anything. It's it's free from my bitterness. It's free from my regret. It's free from thinking about the past. It's free from worrying about the future. It's free from the struggles of right now. It's free from all of the pain that I'm going through. Because, hey, listen, when I get into this pain, the reality is I can't see my issues because I have isolated myself in a cave and wait. It's good because I can't see my issues. Yeah, you're right, but there's a problem with that. You can't see your issues, but you can't see God moving either because you've isolated yourself and you've retreated. And when we isolate ourselves, it, it obstructs our view of God. And in a cave like Elijah, our issues have a chance and he's, he's running from his problems. But, but God is not going to give up on him, even though Elijah, he's got some serious pouting left to do. Look at this. He replied, this is Elijah, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of armies, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars. They just turned back to God and killed your prophets with the sword. And what does he say? I alone am left. Now you got to read this in your most pouting voice. You ready? I alone am left. And they're looking for me to take my life. Isolation and loneliness has lied to him. He's not the only one left. Israel has just turned back to God. There are still prophets in the land. The people of God have returned, but he's, he's running. And let's keep reading because God's, God's grace and mercy, man, it's, it's going to keep coming. Look, look at this. Then he said, this is God, go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. And at that moment, the Lord passed by. Think about it. 
A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. So you got earth, wind, and fire, and God's not in any of it. If you don't understand that, ask your parents. Why didn't God show up in a mighty wind, you know, a sign of his power? That's not how he's going to overcome Elijah's retreating anxiety or fear. Why didn't he show up in an earthquake? That would have been cool. But that, that's, not, that's, not what, that's not what God chose to do at all. But look, God's voice. And after that, there was a voice, a soft whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him. And remember, it's a whisper. A voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? God didn't show up in the wind. Because Elijah had already seen a manifestation of God's power. He, he didn't need that again. God didn't show up in the earthquake. God, Elijah already knew that, that God could hold the whole world together. He, he didn't come in fire. You know how hard it is to make fire? You know how cool it would be if I just made fire right now? That's really hard to make. Have you seen Castaway? It's not easy. But, but God shows up in a whisper. So let me ask you a question. Why, why did God whisper to Elijah? Why is this God's goodness and mercy following Elijah all the days of his life, even though he'd retreated from his life? Why does God whisper to Elijah? God whispers because he's close. Because even though Elijah had retreated and ran 200 miles in the wrong direction and ended up in a cave thinking he had escaped anything and everything that was a problem to him, God says, I'm right here with you. And I don't need to shout louder than your issues. And I don't need to scream louder than your problems. I, I call you close. I whisper because I'm near. I whisper because I'm never away from you, Elijah. Come here. I'm right here with you. It's because there's never a second in your life when God's goodness and mercy isn't immediately available. And God whispers, and Elijah comes out, and Elijah sees. He's no longer trapped in the fear of darkness. He hears God's voice, and he remembers, even at my lowest point, God is with me. God whispers because he's close. And his goodness and his mercy followed Elijah no matter how far he went. Because God's goodness and mercy follows us and is with us and is immediately available at every second of our life. And I don't know what some of you are running from. I don't know all of the issues that you're facing in your life. I don't know all of the trouble and the problems that you have faced or that you're concerned about in the future. I don't know what would cause you to isolate or retreat or pull back from life, but I know a God who promises that his goodness and his mercy will follow you all the days of your life. And the invitation to you today 
is to listen to the still small voice that will speak to you just like it spoke to Elijah. Because God is good and he is the shepherd that we need. And Dallas Willard, uh, he's an author in his book, A Life Without Want, put together great statements. I want you to see them here. These are things, life without lack. These are things that he put together out of Psalm 23. I want you to see him. He says, I don't lack rest. I don't lack leadership. I don't lack life. I don't lack guidance. I don't lack protection. I don't lack comfort. I don't lack a safe place. I don't lack provision. I don't lack goodness or grace. And I don't lack family or a forever home. That's good. Amen? And so if you're running, why? God's voice wants to call you back to him. Because even if you feel like you're all alone, God says, I'm here. And he doesn't have to overpower. He doesn't have to shout louder. He whispers because he's right next to us anywhere and everywhere we go. And he's right with us anywhere and everywhere we go because he's alive. He's the living God who conquered death, defeated hell, already put our enemies to defeat and now sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you, praying for you. And we're gonna sing a song again in just a second called Death Was Arrested. But before we do that, I wanna give you an opportunity to just, just respond. And so some of you in the room, you're not a follower of Jesus. And I would say I'm so glad that you're here. Welcome home. You are among friends. But what would keep you today from trusting Jesus? What would keep you today from following Jesus? You don't have to know all of the answers. You don't have to have it all figured out. I'm, I'm 22 years in still trying to figure it all out. But I know there's a never-ending, never-stopping, always-in-forever love that was available to me and is available to you. There's a king who wants to lead you and guide you through any and every valley and will whisper to you on your darkest moment, I'm here. And if you want to follow Jesus, it's as simple as crying out and saying, Jesus, I need you. I want to be saved by you. I want to be set free by you. I believe you are who you say you are. Would you save me today? And if that's you today, in a moment, I want you to take the card out of the seat back in front of you. Mark on there, I want to follow Jesus. Turn it in at the end of the service. I will personally reach out and celebrate with you and walk with you. Do that today. And others of you, if you, if you are a follower of Jesus, then we're going to give you a moment here in a second to just listen to the voice of God say, I'm right here. And maybe you've retreated and you've ended up in a place and he'll whisper to you what, are you, what are you doing here? Come with me. Come with me. Because God's goodness and mercy, if you're a believer, is immediately available to you every second of your life. Let's pray together. God, we, we need you. And I pray for the person in the room right now who's not a follower of Jesus, that they would ask you, the God of heaven, to save them. And in this moment, they would say, I am broken, I am a sinner, I am needy, but I need a savior. And say yes to you this moment. And give them the courage to fill out that card. Mark, I want to follow Jesus. Turn it in and let us celebrate with them. Do that now. What would keep you from doing that? And then for the, for the believer in the room, man, I, I would invite you, man, just close your eyes, bow your heads. I like to open my hands to heaven.
just a sign that I want to receive what the Lord has. And we want to give you some space to hear what he would say to you. So ask God, say, speak to me, Lord. What is God whispering to you today? If he's whispering to you, he's just reminding you, I'm close. Come here. Come to me. And now what do you need to say back to God? God, thank you that you conquered the grave, that the tomb is empty, that we are already free people, that you have defeated our greatest enemy, death and sin and hell and the grave. And so allow us to walk in your freedom. Be reminded that, man, your goodness and your mercy, man, they're immediately available to us every second of our life. Thank you for the work you've done and are doing in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together, church.